this was not the podcast that you were expecting. What's up, people? We're back. We're back doing live streams on Sunday morning. I'm joined by Nathaniel Ahart, at least for the first half. We're doing something a little bit differently. Chris Chris is going to be joining us in a little bit in order to talk about Obi-Wan for the second half. But for the first half, Nathaniel and I are going to be talking about, oh, the latest great installment in a long line of terrible music biopics that just completely destroy the legacy of, you know, the you know the, the musical icon in which it is portraying. All of that I wouldn't go more. that far, but... <laughs> All of that and more on today's episode of the Talking TV Podcast. What's up, people? This is another episode of the Talking TV Podcast. I am, of course, Dom the Movie Nerd. I am joined this time by Nathaniel Ahart. Nathaniel hasn't been on for a little bit. He was last on on my Oscars predictions panel, giving probably one of the best Jared Leto in House of Gucci impressions that I've seen in a while. Nathaniel, I, I think it's safe to say that we're both really, really happy that that nomination did not happen. Oh, my goodness. Well, I posted a video of my reaction to the Oscar nominations or what I thought about it. I had a little snippet of me at the beginning. So if you watch the video on my channel... You'll see that I was very, very happy he did not get nominated. Not only that, but the, but your reaction to the actual nominees when they were announced is like one of the funniest things that I think I've ever seen. Just in general, <laughs> how does that game Sean react to the way he did with Denzel not getting nominated for a BAFTA a run for its money? But I feel like that kind of translates well to our conversation that we're about to have, at least for this mm-hmm. first half of the episode. Because as far as talking about movies that we think are going to be Oscar bait and then just don't. Man, I mean, the music biopic genre has been so weird. It's been so weird the last couple of years, you know. I'm not going to say that, like, the biopic genre hasn't, like, been in trouble. But I feel like there's been this kind of weird aura in the air recently. As far as, like, people who... uh, Oh, man, Luke, thanks for joining us again, man. We can always depend on you to join us in. Currently melting over here. Man, how hot is it over there in Latvia? You're going to have to let us know. Both Make sure you let us know in both degrees Celsius and then translate it over to Fahrenheit. Because that's just one conversion that us Americans are just always going to be too dumb to get. So... Music biopic genre has been in such a weird spot recently because I feel like recently we've been seeing this phenomenon of biopics that are not necessarily trying to provide and capture like the accurate details of what happened in this person's life. You know, I mean, there's always kind of been that weird fine line between like, you know, some level of over-dramatization. But I feel like for the longest time, the the best biopics have always been the ones that have sought to capture the essence of the main character, the real-life person that they are portraying, and mixing it with a little bit of spice, a little bit of over-dramatization. You know, I usually I've also found that a lot of some of my favorite biopics recently are the ones that don't kind of follow the traditionalist biopic yeah. structure, as we call it. You know, the start out, the rise to fame, the downfall, the realization, the sudden come back and then however it ends you know whether it ends tragically or whether it ends on a high up note you know but i feel like all that changed once bohemian rhapsody came out you know where Bohemian rhapsody we've been seeing this new phenomenon where it's like people i don't think necessarily care about like whether it's accurate or not i feel like they just kind of want to see for lack of a better word like a big concert a big concert show you know and i feel Mm. like in a strange way that's become even more relevant now in this weird post-covid times where every you know nobody wants to go to the movie theaters anymore people really have got again just been conditioned to stay in their house where if they want to leave their house they want to go and see an event viewing you know so it's like i don't know i just i wanted to get your take on that before we started this conversation really about kind of where the biopic and kind of by default the music biopic genre has gone in recent years 
No, that's a good point, uh, Dom, because as you were saying about the ones that kind of take it in a different direction, one of my favorites from the past 10 years was Love and Mercy, the, the Brian Wilson exactly. one. Also one of Chris's and, favorite movies. Well, I mean, it's it's a great one. And honestly, like, yet again, I just got to say Paul Dano was snubbed for the Oscar that year. Um, but just the fact that they told that out of nonlinear uh, fashion and that sort of thing. And it was just such an artistic statement about really one of the greatest artistic geniuses of all time. Um, and I love that movie. So when you look at stuff like Bohemian Rhapsody, you're right. You look at the whole uh, Live Aid sequence, which is like the best part of the movie. But it's like, what is that saying? You know, wh where where does the merit fall into the rest of the right. movie besides Rami Malek's performance? And Biggest thing I heard coming out of that sequence is it's just like, oh, you could literally just watch that exact sequence on YouTube. Like they copied it shot for shot. It was <laughs> right, that right. close. But it's, it's impressive nonetheless. And, and, and I wonder sometimes because a lot of people just like seeing you know, the, the stars that they love and the, these musical icons and, and just seeing their rise and fall because they feel inspired by it, I suppose. But, you know, after a while, it kind of gets a little grating. I liked Rocket Man a lot because it, they took a musical approach to it where it was actually a musical, not just a musical biopic. Um, so that was cool. But I feel like even then it was still kind of the traditional uh, approach to telling the rise and fall kind of story. Uh, which is what I loved about Love and Mercy, that it didn't do that. So I kind of feel that a lot of people do like to see what you said. Um, and I don't necessarily, I feel like we should be reaching for something higher because as we've seen, it has been done successfully without following the traditional path. Exactly. I mean, you look at, I mean, just again, not necessarily musical biopics, but it's like three of my favorite movies that I can list off the top of my head from the last decade. You know, obviously, you know, the 2010s, a decade where we kind of both came into our own, both kind of came into our age, both were kind of like discovering our taste and our love of movies and right. such. Three of those movies were biopics, and I could probably name a, a you know, a couple more, you know, whereas, again, it's three of the best movies of the decade with Social Network often listed off as one of the best movies of the decade, right. which, as we said, is not necessarily uh, historically accurate, but just because of what that movie is covering, it just feel, it makes it so prevalent and just so relevant still even to this day, 12 years after it came out. Wolf of Wall Street, obviously, which famously mixes the right. Scorsese approach against Scorsese, often been hailed as the king of being able to do biopics, you know, the right oh, yeah. way. Almost in a strange way, like, I feel like almost everybody that's done the biopic formula since has been trying to mimic his style, and then straight out of Compton, which for me was, I'm like, just such a revelation as far as just like, wow, that just felt like something completely different. And like, I feel like that was the type of story that even five years before that movie came out, Hollywood never would have tried to even consider making that movie, you know? And I just felt like that one, they just mixed that with such a fresh and new approach. And I feel like we were entering into this new weird phase where we were kind of starting to get a little bit experimental, you know, kind of starting mm -hmm. to get around this idea of like doing, you know, the, the again, the, the checking off all the boxes, you know, like with movies like Love and Mercy, with movies like Steve Jobs, which I thought was very yeah. underrated as far as Amazing. Steve Jobs' lifestyle. Amazing. Exactly. You know, where that one does not at all do the traditionalist lifestyle, but the way that that movie is captured, also another Sorkin job, you know, and I just feel like something happened where it's like, like, it all happens where, again, like, kind of as I've called, started to call it the death of the mid-budget movie, Hollywood just started to realize that those movies, it's either Hollywood realized that those movies weren't doing as well, whether they weren't getting, getting nominated for as many Oscars, no, with the rise of A24, with the, you know, as you saw that transition from, like, 2015 towards 2016 and 17, and the types of movies they were starting to nominate with the expansion of the Oscar voting for, and then Bohemian Rhapsody comes in, and on top, mm. and it just makes all the money. Like, I, it still baffles me how much money Bohemian Rhapsody made. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody made almost as much money as a Marvel movie that year, which That's is insane crazy. because that was That's also crazy. the year 
of Black Panther and Infinity War, the two of, at the time, no. highest-grossing MCU movies, you know, before Endgame just came out and swept the board. And I think that's when things started to change a little bit because that's when they realized, oh, wait, we can... You know, these things have always kind of been like, you know, good money makers for us. You know, they've always been nominated for a couple Oscars, but now we can turn these things into like essentially blockbusters. And I think that's the approach right. they've been trying to take with them as time has gone on. And then obviously we had the pandemic. We had a full year with no movies in theaters. Then we had, you know, this weird, strange comeback year where movies were starting to attempt to make a comeback. And now we're kind of effectively in the post-COVID phase where it's like, okay, if a movie's going to theaters, it better damn well be an event or like maybe a little off-kilter thing they can start to build up steam and momentum that will pick up over time like everything ever all at once you know right. and that brings us to this movie elvis which is i'm gonna say that there's so many different weird things that go into this movie as far as that kind of almost doomed it before it was released you know namely the director kind of when it was announced it was kind of announced it was, it was officially announced that this movie was going to be made back in 2014 probably around when they were starting to plan out a lot of these biopics again a majority of them come from all from the same studios this one obviously is the mm -hmm. exception because it comes from warner brothers but again the previous two that we listed they, those all came from 20th century fox now obviously owned by disney that's probably another big reason as to why you know they started to take that approach but so you have this movie where it's directed by Baz Luhrmann, which I mean, we'll get we'll get to him in a bit. It's essentially trying to be this quasi semi like music big jukebox concert event mixed with like a music biopic. It might be nominated for Oscars. I don't think that's necessarily their intent. Combined with the fact that this is another movie that has probably been delayed for a couple years. You know, they have announced it back in 2014. Mile it was back when you know the usual suspects that were are circling almost every young male lead role at the time. Miles Teller was up for it. Ansel Elgort was up for it. And they both lost. You know, I, I think they were, I was reading the other day that like apparently even Harry Styles was up for this part at one point, which I tell you what, you, you talk about missing out on a gold mine there because you can bet your ass yeah. that if Mary Styles was playing Elvis, every teenage girl and teenage boy and their mother would have gone to see that movie. <laughs> but you have this kid Austin Butler in there, which is so weird because it's like you could tell that like, okay, this is probably another instance where they're trying to make this guy into a star, you know? And I'm not going to say that Austin yeah. Butler is bad. He's a, he, I think he's a good actor. I really liked his performances, text and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the problem comes down to Baz Luhrmann is where I think this kind of the, the doom and gloom starts with this, where this is not a situation like Brian Singer or Dexter Fletcher or anybody like that, you know, where it's like, you know, kind of like company working men. Baz Luhrmann has had like an established track record over the last couple of years. You know, like I said, he got to start in Australia doing musical theater. I don't remember what his first movie is, but I feel like he first prominently came onto the scene with 1996's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. But the big one, obviously, that he gets recognized for, that people still kind of, you know, but like recognized for, and still go back to over time, he's gained a little bit of like a weird reputation in the last 20 years of his directing because it's one, because he's become one of those directors where obviously, you know, there's the whole mantra of you love him or you hate him. But I don't know. It, it, it's, it's his, the reaction to his movies have gotten so weird over the last couple of years where I feel like in a strange way, Baz Luhrmann is like the Zack Snyder, but if he were a musical guy, you know, where it's like, hmm. A lot of people and a lot of critics, I feel like, are not a fan of his style, but his diehard fans, oh, man, you best not cross them because they will defend him to the dead. So I just wanted your take on Baz Luhrmann's style as a director. And also, I wanted to and just you know, his style, you know, taking, you know, towards his movies over the last couple of years. He hasn't actually directed that many movies, but every one of his movies, oh, man, are they an event? Right. And uh, this is the thing. Before I went and saw Elvis, I watched Moulin Rouge. Because oh, I had man. a subscription that was expiring. I was like, all right, I might as well pick this movie. I think I picked the wrong one uh, because it is it sucks. And the thing is that I don't get about Baz Luhrmann. Why is everyone so 
drawn to this hyper stylized editing where he cuts every three seconds and all these corny ass noises going on. And they're like, we, you know, like all this stuff you'd hear in a Saturday morning cartoon. And then he expects us to believe though. Ewan McGregor wrote the sound of music in your song at the turn of the 20th century. I'm like, what the, it's just, it's wait, that's so... a thing. For, 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 I've never seen Mulan Rue. So wait, that's actually a thing that happened. <laughs> yeah. He like, he just goes, the hills are alive. And it's like, oh, whoa, no. you came up with that? And I was like, oh, no, no, he did not. Oh, <laughs> so no. It's, it's oh, really... Oh, man, you want to talk about playing fast and loose with history. Right. And it's just his, his like, very cavalier use of, of music and in modern music. And it, it's, it's so bad because there's, like, a scene where they're in, like, this kind of, like, brothel place and kind of, you know, that's Moulin Rouge. And, and basically, they're, like singing smells like teen spirit and i'm like oh my goodness like this is exactly what kurt cobain was against and it's like in your <laughs> i was just like this is terrible and then honestly the worst offender in that movie is their version of like a virgin which i won't even get into oh my god i knew it was a jukebox musical but jesus it's it's bad and, and the only thing that's redeeming about it is they kind of stick the landing but even then it's like so contrived and it's just a bunch of nonsense it's like why do i even care so i've never understood it's just a self-indulgent splooge fest with all these references to music of the 21st century and i just i don't understand for the life of me how this gets like nominated for best picture and best actor remember nicole kidman also nominated yeah. for best actress and, and her performance is very inconsistent, so I, I'm not really sure what's up with that. Though I will say Ewan McGregor is amazing, which I believe is going to be a good segue uh, later on. Uh, but yeah, it's just so terrible, his style. The definition of style over substance. Uh, Ryan McGuire, my good friend here, uh, he said that he's Boz Lerman, or I don't know if it was him or you, but they're basically saying that Boz Lerman is like the Michael Bay of musical film. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's I said he's so like the accurate. Zack Snyder of musical, so that's not too <laughs> <Right>. far off. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just never understood this. Obviously, I still have to see Romeo Juliet. I have to see The Great Oh, Gatsby, trust me, you're not but... missing anything there. You're right. not missing anything there. Like, <laughs> I my will one... watch The Great Gatsby, though. It's so but... funny. My one friend, I was talking with my one friend the other day. He was like, he did the Romeo and Juliet. He's like, yeah. He's like, how could you not like that? It was Romeo and Juliet set in modern times with guns, but they're talking in like old Shakespearean lingo. I'm like, he's like, how could you not like it? I'm like, okay, just just stop. Just stop talking right there. <laughs> I wanted to answer, I wanted to answer uh, some of these questions. He's like, does Elvis at any point say all sport? Well, I would have to actually remember what actually happened in the movie because in order to kind of break down my thoughts on the movie watching, I'll say this, I haven't seen that many Baz Luhrmann movies. I watched Romeo and Juliet in high school and that was enough to make me almost hate DiCaprio until I watched Django Unchained. Uh, I have not seen any of his other movies. He has only directed, surprisingly enough, like I think four other theatrically released films, Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Australia in 2008, which I think is the only one of his movies that has kind of fallen through the cracks and is for the most part critically reviled. You know, we did that one with Hugh Jackman. Great Gatsby in 2013, which for the most part I think still people like. I think that's like kind of like the one movie that snuck through where it's like, okay, that's the one movie where it's like, okay, the critics could get on board. I think probably because it wasn't a musical, so it was just his style. You know, I'll say this, like, He's got a very good sense of, like, extravagance. You know, that probably comes from his history of working in the musical theater. So I can understand why his style could be so appealing for a decent amount of people. You know, I really, really and appreciate, like, he's not a guy who likes to cheap out on sets. Like, you can tell that it's like he really, like, you know, puts all of his thought into the production design because he's really just – he wants to have a lot of space to move around. Now, why he wants to have all that space, I don't have any idea because his, he cuts his things and, like, every, like, not even, like, full frame. Like, he cuts everything, like, 
like on half a frame to the point where it's like there's so much spinning camera. It, it, it's yeah. funny because I remember the nostalgia critic kind of pointed this out back in the day where he's like, the reason why his style is such a turnoff is because his sets and the looks of his things are so good, but the editing is so frenetic and fast-paced all, all around that you don't have a chance to appreciate any of the style because you're just being moved yeah. on to the next thing so quickly. Now, strangely enough, I think that might be why I feel like a lot of people in our generation might are, are actually like drawn to his movies because again people and uh, people our age have no attention span it's one of the reasons why again everybody complains about our generation as far as because we we can't pay attention and sit still for five seconds and why we're always drawn to streaming and stuff you know so right. in a sense i can kind of understand why his set style would be more appealing because it's just because it's cutting so frequently you know people are like oh okay you know what's going on and they kind of like want to pay attention for me son for somebody like me though i can definitely say that the first 10 minutes of this movie almost gave me a stroke in the theater, yeah. like just with how yeah. fast it was cutting around, the, the the way that it was trying to tell the story, on top of the fact that it was already checking off all the generic biopic, biopic beats and signatures, you know, where it's like, you have this figure, it's like, let me tell you a story about how I told, about how I met this one significant figure, you know, yeah. and unfortunately it's told by Tom Hanks in one of the most ridiculous looking fat suits. <laughs> I don't I still can't even Next. describe what accent it is. Like, I, I, I know that Tom Hanks has been trying to break into like playing villains for a while now, you know, he, he tried mm -hmm. back in 26, 2017 with that poor James Ponsel disaster at the circle where he was trying to play like a tech CEO, an evil tech CEO, and that just did not work at all. And now you have this movie where Tom Hanks, where they're trying to center the movie around Tom Hanks as the narration device. You always see this where it's like, okay, you have the main character, you know, the main historical figure that it's based off of, but then you'll always have some side character, some major supporting character that they try to boost up as like being in the co-lead situation as far as like, oh, you know, he's the narration device. And that's what we get here with Tom Hanks' portrayal of Colonel Parker, who is famously Elvis's, as he said specifically, he he was his promoter, not his manager. He was very, very specific about that over the next couple of years. And what we have here is yet another generic biopic that points out things that you could probably find out just, just by reading on the internet in much yeah. less time than this two and a half hour monstrosity. Because that's right, this movie is two and a half hours and you feel every freaking minute of it, you know. Does it, is it necessarily unbearable the whole way through? No, and I'll say that, well... There, there might be some people that might enjoy this. I, I feel like the biggest thing that I'm trying to figure out about this movie is who is this made for, really? Because I feel like, the, because again, Rocket Man was a bomb when it came out back in 2019, you know? And that may have been just because of the musical style structure and the approach that they took to it. But the biggest thing that I'm trying to figure out is just who was this movie really made for, you know? that That's that's what yeah. I really can't wrap my brain around. Because, I, because again, you saw the majority of people in our audience were all like, 50 and 60 year olds people who probably like listened to elvis when they were a lot mm -hmm. younger you know and probably you know we're waiting to see a biopic about this but for the life of me i don't know a single person our age is gonna go and see this movie you know well i was because i'm a massive elvis fan as you see i got a, uh, my elvis right. doll in the background there but i was just kind of like okay it's not going to be a great biopic and this was before i even watched any boz lerman and i was like i'm just going to see it for austin butler and and that's it but as you said, to the point where, you know, what was this made for? Like, what group of people was this made for? You got, like, him walking down Beale Street in the 1950s, and then Doja Cat starts playing. And it's like, yeah. what? It's like, what? Like, why are we having, like, a yeah. trap song in a movie about a 1950s rockabilly star? Like, it makes absolute no sense to me at all. And this is, yet again, why I hate. Baz Luhrmann's use of modern music in his films because it makes no sense at all. It adds no context whatsoever. It actually distracts from the context. And you really just are left feeling confused and just, I don't know, I was kind of pissed off because 
I was like, let's let's just hear that good rockabilly rock and roll music, man. Right. You know, this, this is a movie about Elvis Presley. And yet again, you also have hip hop songs in there. I believe Eminem was even on <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I, I could have I think yeah. I well, we know Eminem and CeeLo Green did the song for the movie. I was dreading to hear if they actually played it in there, but I don't know. I was listening hard for it because that was the only thing yeah. that was getting me through it. And I'm like, uh, where where are we going with this? You know? Right. Like, and and then there was like the only one that actually made sense was Casey Musgraves doing a cover of Can't Help Falling in Love right. with You. And and because obviously she's country, so her and Elvis come from the same roots. But even then, I'm not sure why it's there. It's not a bad use, but it's just kind of like, I don't get it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, this whole movie, I feel like, is the definition of I don't get it. So as we wrap it up here, yeah. roughly, as we start to transition into Obi-Wan Kenobi, the only thing that I really wanted to talk to you about is the performances, right? With Austin Butler, with Tom Hanks, yeah. because I don't think I've ever seen a more polar opposite dynamic yeah. here, where it's like, on one end, you have somebody who I think is giving a legitimately good performance, albeit like in a, you know, in a steaming turd pile. And then on the other hand, you have somebody who, again, is a legacy actor you know you have tom hanks you know as they're still have this baffling idea like movie stars can still sell movies giving one of the most ridiculous performances i think i've ever seen like we talked about like obviously you know again you get the you you got these actors that get to that point they want to put on like the fat suit they want to you know they, they you know they want to really transform into that character i feel like actors always have to do that at least once in their career and i feel like this was tom hanks's chance to do it because he's really never done that in his career before and Oh, man, if, if I can say just one straight up, like, just absolute terrible thing that just did not work amongst many, many other things here. I mean, th this is it. I mean, what, what, I, 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 it was one of those things too where I'm like, I'm trying to identify what accent it is. And for the life of me, I'm like, I mean, I don't know. What, what, what do you think he was pulling his inspiration from there? Like his ass? I, I don't know. I, I tell you, it's just it's just so bad what he did. And I've never seen Tom Hanks bad in a movie before. Same. So, like, Even in movies that are bad, he right. is good in them. He's always good, and this is the one exception where I was like, I don't know what he's doing. Obviously, it's not on the level of Jared Leto, House of Gucci bad, but it was just unbearable after a certain... Well, no, it got more tolerable, but like just seeing what he was doing, it was so obnoxious, so ridiculous, so over the top. And then on the other hand, uh, to your point about them making this a star-making vehicle for Austin Butler, I definitely feel like they are going to push him for the Oscar because I'll tell you what, I mean, there were scenes where I was just looking at him, especially the Vegas stuff. I'm like, that's the king right there. Like, he completely transforms. I've never heard anybody capture the mannerisms, the voice of Elvis so perfectly. And the fact, because people kind of, like, were giving Taron Edgerton, oh, yeah, he sang Elton John songs. That's great. But obviously, he didn't sound like Elton John. Elvis, to me, is, like, top three vocalist of all time. And he sound just like him. Yeah, there were moments where you could tell it wasn't quite as refined uh, as Elvis's performance on those early records, but like he nailed it. And that is so hard to do. So I was saying, you know, if he wins an Oscar for this, I mean, there's never needs to be another contest of who's the best Elvis impersonator again. Cause yeah, right. I honestly, there isn't one like he right. is Elvis Presley. And I think that it probably could be uh, the best performance of the year. I think he's definitely going to get nominated, especially because this is such a big event. I feel like it is in the kind of consciousness of, you know, the mass public and also critics because everyone has been praising him if they aren't praising the movie, just like I am. And that's why I want to see the movie. And on that sense, I was satisfied.
Okay, that's pretty interesting, you know, especially considering that it's like I was talking about this the other day where I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, Austin Butler was good, but it's like if you get like that one shiny nugget inside a giant turd pile, you know, what does that really right. say about it, you know? Now, what I will say is that I hope that that makes his future career prospects interesting yeah. because he is going to be in, and I th believe I told you about this, he is going to be in the Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks produced Apple TV Plus uh, kind of spiritual follow-up to when they did Band of Brothers mm. in the Pacific on HBO Max, you know, Masters of the Air for Apple TV Plus. He's going to be starring in that alongside Callum Turner and... Um, uh, Barry Keegan, two other kind of up-and-coming actors, you know? So right. I will definitely say the kid did, definitely did show promise, and I really am interested to see where his career is going to go forward. I just hope that he avoids getting typecasted because I've seen, <laughs> unfortunately, like, for, for, for people who try to get those big roles now, it unfortunately is a slippery slope as, right. as you know, well, it, it descent into madness, you know? So, and I'm just, I'm worried that, like, this movie is going to be, like, I mean, honestly, I don't even know, like, who's really going to see this movie, who's really going to even bother reviewing and commenting on it. But I just I don't want this to be a situation of where this ends up wrecking his career prospects going forward, because I do think the kid no. has talent. And I do think that, like, he is. I, I don't think it will. But, you know, there always is that conversation to be had. So, no, I think he's going to shoot him to the top. Yeah, really I'm hoping so. And He's already in Dune Part 2, so... That's true, that's true. Yeah. He is playing Faye Rath, which I, I did think that was actually pretty interesting, you know, just based off the type of the types of performances that he gets out of his actors. I think that could be really interesting, mm -hmm. you know, especially because, you know, it's ironic that he's playing Elvis because he was following up to another musical talent, you know, with, with Sting, obviously portraying Faye Rath in the original uh, 1904 oh. David Lynch Dune. So I, I think that yeah. is a little, little, little six degrees, the separation there, right there. So we're about to wrap yeah. it up. Chris is about to hop on, and we're about to transition into Obi-Wan. But before we get out of here, Nathaniel, your final thoughts and your final star rating on Elvis. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't like it um, just because of all the things I said. There were so many inconsistencies and Boz <laughs> Lerman's direction is just so ridiculous. But I, I feel like once you really settle into the story of Elvis is when it becomes very compelling. Uh, but I feel like the bad outweighs the good just a little bit. So I'm just going to give it uh, five and a half out of five or five and a half out of ten. You know, it's it's not. A great movie at all uh see it for his performance but other than that it, it's up to you whether you should go to the theater and waste your money on this or not i don't know but i i think he's going to this is going to launch his career and i think that hopefully he gets an oscar nomination at the very least yeah, for me at least, this is a movie where I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I, I, I just, I, I tried, I really did. I was looking for something that was appealing. I was looking for something that I could like, you know, even ironically enough, you know, even with Tom Hanks waddling like the penguin in that stupid fat suit, you know, we were laughing our asses off during that. But I'm like, I'm trying so hard. But at the end of the day, I'm like, look, this is. I think it was ultimately the thing that turned me off the most was just Baz Luhrmann style. It was just too much overall. Yeah. And on top of the fact that it's just like just a mixing of two really weird styles, the traditional biopic formula with Baz Luhrmann's ridiculously over the top style. I'm just like, yeah, I just, I don't see how anyone is gonna. Really Really enjoy this this is not for me i really couldn't get on board with this so unfortunately this is one of my probably like my worst reviewed movies of the year this is only getting one and a half stars for me and hey you know a movie's got to be really bad in order to get a one and a half right, for me. Right. you know I, I try to give everything benefit of the doubt even the movies that i'm not the biggest fan of so that's it that is our review on elvis we're going to be transitioning into obi-wan now as we are joined by chris the tv nerd Evenko. chris what's going on dude happy to have you here Good morning, gentlemen. What's going on? It's going. <laughs> as you see, you, as you can see, you missed out on such a great movie, you know, this past weekend. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just say, because I did hear your uh, star reviews here before we jump into Obi-Wan. I learned probably around when Zola and Old burned me so bad back to back almost that the best thing to do is find a camcorder recording of the movie that you're dying to go see in theaters because chances are it's going to suck. It's coming out in the present day. And for a while, I thought... <laughs> All right, well, maybe, uh, you know, it won't be that bad. But hey, listen, once I realized that my camcorder quality Jurassic World two weeks ago was was 
it was worth sitting through the terrible audio as an audio engineer than paying the $14 plus if I got a <laughs> snack or a soda. You know, I, I, I that's the way to go. And I love what our, our um, compatriot David is doing here on YouTube, Flix Talk, which I got to bring him up because he just hit 27K and he's been a homie and a supporter. So congrats to him. He doesn't even spend money on the movies anymore, Nathaniel. What he does is he he waits till they come out on VOD and he does a first time watch reaction to them, gets a boatload of views, a boatload of subscribers and saves himself about well, California, maybe $40 in a movie ticket yeah. with the if you take wow. into account the gas it takes to get anywhere now. So, right. uh, yeah, the movies are dead and uh, they killed the king, it seems. Anyways, See, let's talk about another um, <laughs> trilogy well, that's dead, say, right? That's such a great transition into our next topic because what I was going to say is I'm like, Chris, obviously we've been talking so much about how streaming has literally replaced movies as far as quality goes. But, I mean, you can imagine my surprise when, I mean, we had yet another mediocre Star Wars streaming drop after we already spent seven weeks reviewing one back in January. We kind of said to each other, I'm like, look, we're done. I can't do this again, you know? And then, you, so we, wa we watched the first episode. I talked about it a little bit with Brandon back on our Memorial Day extravaganza, kind of, you know, just the first two episodes, just to, you know, get an idea of what it was going to be overall. And my biggest thing, that, so you can imagine my surprise when you said you actually wanted to review it. And my first question was, why? Like, what, what did you, did you, would, like, did you, did you get something from that? But like, I was missing. So it's like, walk me through, what made you want to like actually review Obi-Wan? When I still see the same shills saying it was great, it was groundbreaking, it was the, you know, God's gift to Star Wars or, you know, science fiction or space operas. That's, it's frustrating because, I mean, there's just so many issues to take with this franchise that the half hour we have won't do it justice. Uh, sorry, I said franchise. I meant the miniseries of Obi-Wan. But, I mean, it really, I don't want to give it more, more time than that. Also, it's just like one of those things where I wasn't given many options this week. You know, it was go yeah. spend money on a movie that could seemingly destroy one of my favorite singers as a singer of all time, like his legacy, not going to have that happen. Or I can talk about something that's already been bastardized. Um, another huge part of my childhood, but at least that one has already, you know, the wounds are still fresh. Whereas the Elvis wound, I'm not going to let that happen to myself. I am never seeing that movie. So that that's another reason why I made this choice. But also there has to be someone who's real and says that, well, you're telling me that Leia, the biggest issue I have with this, just doesn't remember her adventure with Obi-Wan at all in A New Hope? You Really? She doesn't remember any of that? It's not even like if someone went back and like recreated the Kessel Run, because we at least hinted at that, and that gives a creator room to come in and play with that and like elaborate on it. I know they did that in the comics, but it's like Disney comics, so who cares? Uh, but like, it's not like anyone actually like took something that was kind of there and brought it to life. We just like fabricated this stupid, idiotic story where it's like, Throughout the entirety of this series, we come to a blockade in the middle of the desert where they can easily walk left or right and get around the electric gate, but instead they have to go straight. So what do they do? They create a situation out of nothing. And then there's another situation where this fight's going down and Vader's got Obi-Wan pinned, but oh no, fire broke out and a Sith Lord can't walk through fire. So I guess this one's canned because we need three more episodes. No, no, wait, Chris, you it's, forgot the you one know, minute where, I, I don't wanna, where yeah, Vader you guys is trying to pull revenge on Obi-Wan for throwing him into the fire and like force pulls him in, remember, in order to get revenge on him for Mustafar. Yeah, but my biggest, I, I'm not going to have, I'm not going to disperse. I had no illusions about the show going in. Book of Boba kind of already gave me an idea of like where we were going with Star Wars. We're kind of going for, I kind of made the, the decision made that it was like, okay, it's going to be Mandalorian or Bust because Mandalorian at the very least still has my interest, still has my attention because that's still an original character that we don't know anything about yet so it's not them bastardizing a previously established character really but the biggest thing for me obviously 
going into the show. Like I said, Brandon and I talked about it a couple weeks ago back during the Memorial Day extravaganza where we talked about kind of Brandon brought up the criticism that the biggest problem with the show going forward was, like you said, Chris, it wasn't telling us anything new. It was trying to retrograde all this, all this canon. It was trying to introduce all these things that like really didn't need to happen for no reason. And ultimately, what did it result in? It resulted in, okay, him being able to get in touch with the force with Qui-Gon, you know, him, you know, getting past his trauma of Anakin. Again, all shit that we knew, you know, this is not necessarily the biggest problem I feel like going into the show was that it wasn't telling us anything new that we didn't already know about Obi-Wan, which is consistently the what I like to call the prequel problem. You know, it's what people always talk about when it, they talk about prequels, the idea that you're always going to know where it's going to end, you know? And what's made even more disastrous by this is when you get amazing prequels that are doing it right, like Better Call Saul, where, okay, you may know where it's going to end, but there's so much crazy stuff that's going to happen along the way that is just so good at drawing out the tension that you're really, really going to enjoy and appreciate. So the biggest thing that I, I I feel like the biggest thing that, you know, we, that I wanted to talk about first before we get into it, and this is more so aimed at Nathaniel over you, Chris, because Chris, I think you've already pretty much made your stance clear, is Nathaniel, now that it's over, did we need this? Because famously, this is the thing that still, for whatever reason, a lot of people were looking forward to. And I'm not just talking about just the general overall interest about Star Wars. You know, I have a section covered for Star Wars Sims in a little bit. Don't worry, we're going to get to that where it doesn't matter what it's going to be. It doesn't matter how shady it's going to be. If it has Star Wars logo on it, they will watch it, you know? But Obi-Wan has always been one of those big things that seems to be a bit really interesting. You know, like I said, it was originally going to be a movie of all like kind of the legacy character things that they were going to do back when Lucasfilm, back when Disney originally bought Lucasfilm that they were going to do, you know, Obi-Wan seemed to be one that they're like, okay, yeah, we're really, really interested in this, you know, he became a fan favorite character after the prequels, you know, kind of the treatment that they took on him in the prequels, and now after this, where you have this essentially, this movie that acts as like, a, this extended movie, I should say, that acts as like a snatch and grab mission where he has to rescue Leia and then help this one section of the rebellion, despite the fact that it breaks all sorts of timeline and chronological issues, while he's also trying to deal with and overcome his trauma about Anakin. Like, like he was saying, the, the Logan formula, like Brandon was also saying, the Logan formula, it's all there, definitely. But I think it, to even compare this to Logan, I think is doing Logan a disservice. But my question for you, Nathaniel, is now that it's over, did we need this? And I know that's kind of a redundant question because technically none of the stuff we need because, again, it's just Disney trying to just push out content in order to get more Disney Plus subscribers and fill up their content library. But I guess from, like, a sense of, do you feel like this told you anything about this character or the story that we hadn't, that we didn't already know? Right. Well, first I want to say uh, to Chris's rebuttal, uh, I do think that Legacy of Elvis will always be riding high no matter what. So, And also, I did want to say that I feel like with the whole Leia thing, I get it's like pretty direct Obi-Wan, you served my father in the Clone Wars, but I feel like there might be a little bit of like you can read between the lines and perhaps they knew each other. I don't know. I, I didn't I didn't read it that way personally when I watched the show. Uh, but to answer your question, Dom, I mean, really, is anything necessary? You know what I mean? Because well, yeah, but yeah, but I don't know. Cause like the thing with me, to be honest with you, like this show, because I don't eat up everything that they you know star wars hands out. i mean rise of skywalker bad movie and and just everything that was wrong with disney running the show but what i will say is i don't under i understand the flaws people have because obviously this could have done quite a few touch-ups uh script wise but overall i mean i wanted to see a story about obi-wan kind of like what he was doing on Tatooine at that time, kind of like his psychosis and what the emotions he was going through. And, and I feel like the first couple of episodes really did that for me. And, you know, even though they started that escort mission, I was like, okay, we can wrap this up in like a couple of episodes or whatever. That's cool. And then it kept going and I was like, all right, we're kind of wasting time here. But I'll tell you, I mean, 
I don't necessarily think it was necessary because, as you said, we knew where this was going to go. But honestly, I absolutely love that finale. Uh, it, it basically, like, if they had filled in more space of Obi-Wan doing stuff on Tatooine and kind of, like, going through his mental process, because I feel like they touched, they only scratched the surface, which is my biggest problem with the show, because that is what I wanted. But I just feel like the way they tied things up, it was it was really beautiful, and um, it gave me everything I wanted as a Star Wars fan, at least in that episode. But no, it, it wasn't necessary, and I think that they could have done a much better job uh, with presenting the character of Obi-Wan and also everything else, because obviously I understand the complaints with some of the Leia stuff there, because it wasn't necessarily the best thing they've ever done. <laughs> I, I yeah, that's just like... the start of my many complaints. Like, I read the Kenobi book, and I'm not saying they have to go off that source material. In fact, it's decanonized, so why would they, right? They can't right, make a right. profit off of it, therefore it's now Legends. I understand the way the game works. It was still more compelling than what we got. I'm just, I think I'm sick of this, and this is the main reason why I wanted to chat about all of this, was uh, I'm just sick of this whole, hey, we're, it's, it's really not the Hawkeye show. It's an introduction for a new character. Or, hey, it's, you know, it's really not like... Um, you know, uh, the Obi-Wan show, it's an introduction for, for a new character. It's, it's just so, I don't know. It's just so cash grabby because what is it that the main star is too expensive. So we're trying to limit the amount of time we get him on screen going forward. But if we can get someone new and sort of build them up in our system, it's almost like, you know, you guys were just talking about the old school days of Hollywood where, uh, you know, stars were contracted to the studio. It's almost like they're trying to do that again in a sense. And that's just the economics are really destroying the art here. But furthermore, I think it feels like you and McGregor talking about the performance completely forgot how to play the character of Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, and there was uh, nothing there that harkened uh, back to what I love about the prequels. It was, it, we got shells of the man who he used to be both as you and McGregor as an actor and Obi-Wan as the character that is arguably, if there was a number two most iconic character in star Wars behind Darth Vader, it's Obi-Wan. Uh, and that's just the way I see it. I'll say this, you've definitely been making that argument since The Force Awakens came out, and it, it, I'll, I'll say it's been hate or miss for me as far as how I agree with you, but this is what I definitely agree with you on, where I, de I definitely think that, like, this sense of, like, where he's playing Obi-Wan, I guess because of the sense of where it, it didn't really line up to, like, where the character ended, like, chronological-wise. Like, yeah, you can tell he was obviously distraught about having to destroy Anakin, but he also understood that, like, yeah, this was something that needed to be done, you know? This was something that, like, okay, like, Anakin has fallen to the dark side, you know? And if anything, that's what kind of made their kind of, like, also say it is like the tra it made the transition from revenge of the sith into kind of their meeting into a new hope I, I still feel like it made that even more satisfying and i feel like yeah. kind of them meeting up beforehand before the events of a new hope and them having to go through like for lack of a better word like the disney tr the disney track record of oh you made you made me you know this is all your fault and i'm like really like that like it just it it was it's so it would have been one thing if this was, again, this was the first instance and where we didn't have, like, a whole new trilogy of movies coming into. But it's the fact that we have that whole new trilogy of movies to go into. That it's like, okay, this, this doesn't line up in some sense, you know? Also, I mean... I know that like people have been pretty hit or miss as far as how they treated the legacy characters just as far as Disney goes. I still think that they had a chance to redeem Luke Skywalker with what they were doing in The Last Jedi. I still think it's kind of the last third that kind of wrecks that where it, it, it kind of doesn't really make any sense. But now I feel like they're kind of just going through the motions with these characters in order to like, okay, this is just what these guys are going to do. You know, he's going to be traumatized. He's going to be PTSD. You know, it's been 10 years. And this is all about, you know, gonna. I, I feel like the show should have been renamed how Obi-Wan got his groove back. You know, a little reference to uh, how Stella got her groove back. You know, that's a little 90s reference there. Shout out Professor Pat there. But the biggest thing for me is I'm like, wait, 
So we know that Obi-Wan's going to get his groove back, you know, because obviously, you know, he ends up training Luke and all that. And you can, t you can tell that they're saving Liam Neeson for the last episode. And I'm sorry, like, Daniel, I'm glad that you liked the episode. Uh, for me, the line that ruined it, because I'm not going to lie, I was so checked out by the time we got to those last two episodes. I kind of just kept them on in the, in the background. And I will say that, like, there was a very, very entertaining hand-to-hand -hand combat between Re Vader and Reva in episode five, where he just, like, yeah. where, where Reva was trying to, like, get the one up on him, and Vader was just smacking her down and proving it's like, yeah, I'm Darth Vader, bitch. That's like, great, come on, yeah. you're, you're not going to get the one. That, that, I was just laughing during that. I'm like, that, that, that was a comedy to me, basically. But that one moment where Liam Neeson it shows up at the end i'm just like okay but uh, the, the, the thing that killed it for me was it's like oh i was always here you just weren't ready to see. i'm like get the fuck out of here like come on this is this i, I thought it was great still i i was like holy shit but i i don't know nah, nah, I, I, i'm kind of past those moments where i'm like you really have to earn those moments for me and like D disney has already been running rough shot and kind of taking advantage of those moments a little bit too often these last couple of years and i'm like yeah no i'm sorry yeah, like, they're not gonna work on <laughs> the only thing i think i took away from the finale was um, amazing sound editing where you have the bleed between Vader, uh, the James Earl, the oh, James Earl yeah. Jones voice, and the Hayden Christensen voice. That, that was, was great. great. That was um, awesome. Amazing. Which is a bit that, that they pulled right from Rebels, though, because that was literally in a scene in Rebels when Ahsoka cut off his and face, and you had the blend yeah. between Matt Lander, who I think does a much better Anakin Skywalker than Hayden Christensen. That's just by yeah. almost yeah. bias shining through, though. And James Earl Jones. So that's not even original. They already did that in the animated show. So that's, that's what so I was cool. going to say. Um, and another thing, speaking with some of my film friends, um, I was on a little bit of a set this weekend. And a, a lot of them raised a great point that I hadn't even considered. And I asked myself why I hadn't considered it. And I think it's because I gave up. And I think um, some of them haven't. But they're very frustrated as filmmakers with the use of the set, that limited Disney set. I forget what yes. they call it. But even when it was, and this felt a little bigger because I think they learned how to green screen the backgrounds and have like more wider flat backgrounds. So the set pieces up front and then it goes off into a vast horizon. Like notice the use of like the shot that we got to finally see from the moisture farm where Luke and Owen and Brew live, but looking out into the dune sea and then seeing in the distance some like of where Obi-Wan was living in the caves. Like they, they used it a little better, but it still feels so small scale. And I think it's okay to feel small scale in the Mandalorian even though I'm not a fan of that because we're always told it's this huge galaxy and that's just where I come from. And I think it's okay to feel small scale in Boba Fett because again, side character that people just like the way he looks. So of course he's going to get a show so Disney can sell Funko Pops. Um, but this is different. These are the two titular characters in the trilogy that they won't let die and they keep bastardizing. So this needed to be larger than life and the fact that it's felt so close quarters and crammed in the wrong ways. I think the action sequences, you want them to feel close quarters and crammed. But it just it just felt all the towns felt so small. It's like, are we in like a 1950s Western or are we in like, you know, yeah. a space epic? Because there can't be how, how is there only only ever like 20 people living in these towns? Like, what the hell is going on here? Because the Star Wars I remember is Coruscant, a city that doesn't end. It's Naboo, you know, uh, even in the water, there's a whole other civilization. You have the human-like people that live above world and underwater, you have the Gungans and in between them, all the crazy animal vegetation and wildlife. And in Disney, it's like dead, inhabitable planets, one that looks just like Arizona. And then like, that, you know, like where we get a Seth Rogen cameo, I think that was, who, whoever. Oh, that's, that's, even worse. Graf, that's even worse. That's even worse. That was I, Zach Braff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I, okay. Why he was doing a Seth Rogen impression yeah, for that, that character, I have no idea. That confused but, me, but see, I don't care enough to even look it up anymore. But I just, from even from a filmmaker standpoint, they're like losing the touch that I think, as much as I hate to say it, they still had with that 
terrible reboot trilogy. At least there was some filmic value there. And uh, so I don't know. I just think it's all going downhill. And I think this is me retiring from Star Wars this morning and also just coming on to um, properly say that not everyone's buying what they're selling one last time. But you guys take it away. What do you think about all that? The biggest thing I feel like, and that kind of brings me to my next point, is the mixed reactions. Because what's so interesting about that point that you just brought up, Chris, is I was listening to Red Letter Media's coverage of the show. You know, I don't listen to Red Letter Media nearly as much as I used to, but I I try to tune in whenever I can just because, you know, they also don't care about staying, like, uh, uh, in touch with certain things, at least not until, like, after months after it's come out. And they actually brought up a couple of interesting points here, which is that, they said that, like, in a strange way, what they admired about it was the cheapness of it. And so bear with me here. Basically, what they're trying to say is that they're like, Star Wars has fallen off so hard quality-wise that at the very least, it helps that the technicals are, because, the, again, it, even with the, like you were saying, with the much bastardized um, new trilogy that they did, the technicals were still there. It felt expansive. It looked great. The sound design was amazing. The look of the creatures was practical and great. They went to multiple different locations on planet, you know, versus what it feels like with every friggin' new Disney Plus show, it's not the Mandalorian. They're just doing Tatooine. You know, that, that's literally what they did. They, 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 because again, this is another problem that I had. This is another show where a majority of it is set on Tatooine and I'm like okay are we and if it's not Tatooine it's another planet that has deserts just like Tatooine and I'm like okay are we ever going to get away from this one Disney set but the biggest thing for me is I'm like so this is essentially Star Wars becoming Star Trek if that makes sense where it's like the two of them have kind of officially shifted where you have Star Trek now they're still on TV on Paramount Plus but they are at the very least doing like I've caught a couple glimpses of them here and there they are at the very least still doing like you know, crazy planet hopping, like big explosion stuff, you know, because Kurtzman and Orsi and the guys who helped J.J. Abrams on those Star Trek movies definitely helped. You know, obviously, again, that pissed off a lot of OG, you know, Star Trek fans. That was the biggest thing was J.J. coming into that and, you know, kind of putting a stamp on that. But the biggest kind of, I feel like, original core difference that originated as far as the difference between the two is the fact that Star Trek because of its budget, always had to work around that, and as a result, was always able to have such creative writing, such interesting stories, such mature stories versus Star Wars. The big thing about it was that it was this big, expansive, visual, cinematic experience, and now you have this thing where even though they're both on TV, they've kind of shifted paradigms, where now Star Star Wars is essentially just cheap, disposable content that you can watch, and the only thing that it really has going for it is this massive fan nostalgia gripe fest for it, you know? So I just thought that that was a really interesting tidbit as far as kind of, again, we're two years, two, three years in to this Disney Plus experiment now, you know? And so far, the only thing that is really good is The Mandalorian, but again, that even, I feel like, still applies to The Mandalorian, because the thing that I like about The Mandalorian is not that it's this big, expansive, like, kind of big Star Wars thing. It is more of an episodic-feeling TV show, you know? And in a strange way, I guess it works for me because it is a new character, and I think that's kind of why I've been able to get on board with it. I think the biggest thing of where Obi-Wan fails is the fact that Obi-Wan, they tried to make it seem like it, and again, I guess I could blame this on the marketing, is they tried to make it seem like it was going to be, like, this big, expansive, like, visual cinematic experience, like, this is going to be an event, and now it's like, okay, they're already talking about it with season two, and it's like, okay, you know, like, I really realized pretty quickly what it was going to be but i'm just I, i'm going to be interested to see if there's anybody that does fall for this you know outside of like you know the, just the star wars sim crowd that just watches everything star wars related and nathaniel what's your take on that well i don't know if i'd say i fall for it but because i get a lot of points you're making i don't get it i, I wouldn't call this a bastardization by any means i i feel like yeah it as i said it wasn't necessary but i feel like they didn't really ruin anything like from what i watched and and i really did like what i saw overall and and honestly the cheapness of it 
And to your point about Tatooine, I mean, well, we knew it was going to be on Tatooine. I mean, well, yeah, Obi-Wan, but I guess and I want to get away from like, Tatooine too. Trust yeah, me, I it's do. Like, can we just have but, something that doesn't take place on Tatooine? I swear to God, we're right. going to get this Ahsoka show, and they're going to find some way to bring it to Tatooine. Mark okay, my word. Then I'll be pissed. Then I'll be pissed. But for this, I I don't know. Like I felt like I wanted to see more of what he was doing there because it just turned into an escort mission. I mean, how many times have we seen that? And I I understand, like especially with Leia's dialogue, it sounds like it was written obviously by a writer you know it certainly didn't feel like something a kid would necessarily say but i don't know i really enjoyed that one that they gave some legacy character if they were going to do anything at all the shine that wasn't luke i thought that was nice and and i honestly think uh vivian uh blair if that's like her name something like that i i thought she did a good job of what she was given and I don't know. I, she did a good job. Right, right. Just the type of acting that she gave, I don't think worked because she's she's given a Disney Channel performance. That's what it is. And right. I'm just like, fair enough. She's fair talking enough. like a 40 year old yeah. writer writing. Of what, what is she supposed to be? Tenant at? Also, like, yeah, I know yeah. I pointed this out, but just the whole prequel problem. It's like, okay, we're expected to believe that in what is it, like roughly five to 10 years, Ewan McGregor is going to magically transform into Alleginus and the little girl is going to, mm. what's it called? And the little girl is going to magically grow up into um into Carrie Fisher. I just thought that was fun. That was a little bit of like X-Men prequelitis problem there. You know, we're right. like, okay, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender magically still look like James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender in the 90s, only 10 years before they turned into Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Like, man, these movies, these prequels love playing fast and loose with these guys' ages. Right. But no, and, and I will say like, uh, Chris, I, I didn't see what you said with his performance because honestly, I thought with the prequels, like obviously he was one of the highlights, but I felt like obviously the script didn't give him a whole lot to do. It didn't give anybody a whole lot to do. And I'm not saying that this show is like, you know, the best. I mean, there's a lot of really, you know, terrible stuff when it comes to plot holes and conveniences and just, you know, some corny lines thrown in there. But I thought this is his best performance as the character. I mean, especially that final confrontation between him and Vader was just such an emotional moment for him and just kind of like the realization. And I, and I, and I love that moment because that really felt indicative of where he would be at a new hope and, and how he sees Anakin as Vader. I thought that I, at first I was a little iffy on the showdown, how they were shooting it and, and all that stuff. But by the end of it, I was really, really compelled, especially by his performance. But I do admit they, as I was saying earlier, they could have gone deeper. And that was my biggest problem with this show is it felt like, but then again, it's a sense of expectation uh, against, you know, what they actually presented. But even so, I feel like they could have aimed higher. And I mean, just as you were saying with the cheapness of it, I do feel like, especially that Leia chasing was so stupid. It was like, Oh, you really expect her to outrun Flea? And also, why was Flea in it? That was like the <laughs> no, 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 not even I, that, not even that. The part where yeah. the dude in the green and the green makeup at the beginning literally just stops at a freaking tree like she just yeah I'm like, what, what is happening here <laughs> like in hindsight it was just like okay that was really dumb but i also just think that a lot of like especially like the kumail nanjiani character it just felt like they're crowbarring him yeah, in there the like, oh look ben, benny safi in, you know? in the first episode i'll give o'shea but jackson jr cool. credit. i thought- Oh, I, I really like what they he did, did with he Benny. Did, he did not work for me. He was he was just like really? man, that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I'd like I'll give O'Shea Jackson Jr. credit. He was trying. Yeah. He was really really trying. But good. he was another one that stuck out like a sore thumb. Indira Varma from Game of Thrones. Yeah, like the the stunt casting aside, the biggest thing for me. Uh, well, hang on. Fun. I do want to resp- I do want to say. Um, I think it's a to each their own situation, you know. Because for me, it's one of those things where 
uh, Ewan McGregor was not only the star, but he was uh, heavily invested in this monetarily and producerial wise. So sure, he wanted this thing to succeed. But I think the Disney formula in the Disney experiment to which Dom said, where it's really just a soft reboot. Now I bet we'll have Reva pop up maybe somewhere along the lines in a Mandalorian future season or whatnot. And maybe now we'll have like a younger Leia character sort of like grow through the ages. Like this could be a lifelong casting for her. You know, Disney Mm -hmm. didn't spend four billion i think it was on star wars for nothing um it's just sad that like the money seems to be where my brain goes first in regards to assessing what creatively we can explore next and i think outside of all that though outside of all that because i don't think that there's any real passion i think i'm even giving up on the filoni favreau dream team i think you can strike gold once or twice but if you can't continue to mine it your company's like you're gonna go under you know it's just one of those types of things where I, I just think it's all so contrived and even someone who's trying to make a difference can't uh, but i will say though if you go back and watch those prequels not perfect movies but i think a reason why they are so highly revered to this day and growing i think with time and popularity and respect is the performance and the chemistry on screen between mcgregor and christensen and and i think to have chemistry chemistry you need to have good writing and a good performance and and McGregor wasn't given any of those. He wasn't given good writing to then give a good performance on top of. It really just felt like, I think I would have been wowed if this was like, you know, um, that YouTuber Star Wars Theory who does like his fan fiction sometimes. I would have been wowed if he put this out. I would have been like, oh my God, this is like so good for a fan fiction. But this is the real deal. This is the, right. uh, hey, we're, this is, we're making Funko Pops out of this. We're selling blankets off this thing. Like this is it. And if this is it, Sorry, guys. I might go watch Halo season two over the next Disney Plus wow, Star Wars thing. You know, seriously, because because I at least I at least know that it would never be anything important to start with. Like Star Wars changed not only uh, storytelling, but it changed technology in cinema. It literally challenged every other sci-fi filmmaker to do something better than what had come before it. So for them to just like I don't know, pour salt in the open wound of what the the reboot trilogy did. It to me, it's just. But I mean. Okay, so you have him say the classic line. Wow. Great. Yeah, like yeah. it did nothing. I get um, that for sure. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so he's, you know, um, you know, he does the little hollow thing in the corner and he speaks to another old character from the prequels who's also boring for some reason now, who I used to love. And I used to love him as a kid who could care less about Senate and politics and all that stuff. So now the guy that I actually like politics now, who's the politician, is boring. It's not just because I've changed. It's because the quality has completely drizzled out and and gone elsewhere. It's gone into the plush toys and the toothbrushes and, and you know, like the uh, the Star Wars masking tape. Like that's what they'd rather sell like than a good product, a good show, I mean, in my opinion. Wow. I, I just I wanted to point out, well, I just wanted to point out a couple of a couple of tidbits that I just thought were hilarious that ended up popping up. So I mean, they both concerned Hayden Christensen because obviously it was a big thing. And, you know, that was a big marketing sell. I was like, wow, yeah. Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, they're both back. First off, the fact that unlike Ewan McGregor, who has been pretty consistent in movies and TV in the last like 10, 15 years since Revenge of the Sith, and you know, for some reason is not aged. In fact, I think he's aged in reverse. He literally somehow looks younger now than he did like 15 years ago, 15, 16, 17 years ago when he was in Revenge of the Sith. Hayden Christensen has barely been in anything since then. And and oh man, is he eight? Like he is. I think he's like yeah. 42, 43, and he looks like fifty. Like the, the years have not been kind to him. And the other thing too that I thought was hilarious, and I think I believe I pointed this out to you, Chris, is that in addition to having Hayden 
portray Anakin once again in the prequel in the flashbacks. They also have him like actually portraying Vader in the suit, like he's in the suit, yeah. you know. And, the, the, and so I think that's one of the reasons why the opening fight, the first fight between him and Obi Wan in that third episode is so terrible because they because they very clearly have to cut around it because Hayden Christensen is not nearly as tall as David Prowse who portrayed Vader in the suit in the original Star Wars prequels. So it's very clear that they have to cut around the fact that he's standing on a box in order to portray that like you know he's towering over Obi-Wan because he's got like again they put the metal stilts on in order to replace the limbs that he lost when he was fighting Obi-Wan so he's clearly that contributes to his height as Vader but now that Hayden's in the suit I just thought that was hilarious like I'm like oh that's why that fight looks so terrible because they have to cut around the fact that he is like not like mm. nine feet taller however tall Vader was in the original so I just thought that was funny there's one more point that I wanted to cover before we wrap this up and get out of here which is I, I put this here specifically which is Star Wars Sims which is I feel like we haven't talked I feel like the DC fan base has gotten so much flack in the last couple of years, but I feel like that one's a little bit unjustified because if anything, hey, you know, they, they made the Snyder Cut happen, which was better than really any DC movie that we got in like the last five, six years other than the Suicide Squad. So uh, you know what? I give the DC fanboys a pass. Are they a little bit too invested in Snyder as a filmmaker? Sure, but at the very least, they made something cool happen, you know? The Star Wars Sims, though, because I talk with some of my friends and I try and I try and I try and it doesn't matter what I do. And every single time, they're like, oh, all you think is negative stuff, you know? All you say is negative stuff. You don't appreciate any Star Wars wise and it's like I'm like it's one of those things where it's like is it just us like is there any hope essentially is what I'm trying to go for you know help, help me find the hope you know how uh, you know because it's like I, obviously as long as the Star Wars sims continue to churn out you know again with a million fan base that counts um what's it called you know, you know, they'll continue to make this stuff. But the biggest thing that I guess confuses me is the fact that it would be one thing if this was the only Star Wars thing that we could get. But again, we have how many different fan films, how many different like fan theories that we get on YouTube. Again, I remember watching a Darth Maul, just a short a couple of years ago where it was just him slicing and dicing with different with, with different Jedi. And even though that was very clearly like a fan-made film, that was better than any of the Disney Plus things that I've seen, even better than certain instances of The Mandalorian. That was before we got the final season of The Clone Wars, you know? And obviously, yeah, so it's this idea of Star Wars becoming disposable kind of, but I guess what I'm trying to get at is Will there ever be people who start to actually see the see like that it is just becoming more disposable content, or you, or like like where is the line? When do they start realizing that Star Wars is not special anymore? Is my question. Hmm. And I don't know if there's an answer. It's the problem. Right, right. Because it's like I don't know. Like you look at something like the Mandalorian. It's like wow, they can actually tell like a really compelling story with new characters for the right. most part that we haven't seen before. And then you look at something like Rise of Skywalker. It's like, wow, they don't trust the fans at all, do they? And, and you know, it's like you see this dichotomy being created. And, and it's tough to say because, I mean, obviously we have to see the execution of it. But look at Taika Waititi saying, you know, like, we're sick of revisiting the same old characters. Like, when I'm going to make this movie, it's going to be all new stuff, new worlds. And that's great. And, and if we get movies like that, I feel like, a lot more Star Wars fans are going to be satisfied because that's what we want to see more than anything. Yeah, I enjoyed Obi-Wan. I really did. I liked it a lot. And I know, I guess that seems to be a, a controversial take here, but I do think that, you know, it's like, is this the same stuff I want to be seeing over and over again, just regurgitated like these same characters? No, I don't. And I, I really can't wait to see what they do with these new stories that they are seemingly planning uh, because I think that will tell us uh, eventually whether Star Wars is, you know, worth revisiting and, and, and worth kind of like investing money into these new stories and these new tales to tell. So I don't know. I think it's sight unseen at this point. Yeah. Chris, what's your take on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I do think it's worth revisiting. I think the only reason that I am remotely interested in film, it's the only creative thing Star Wars is outside of music as a little kid that like got my ears to peek up. You know, I, I would ne- I didn't know. I mean, I, my family sat me down. We watched all the classics that a kid should watch, really, in my opinion. You know, Ghostbusters, E.T., Rocky, um, Platoon, um, Full Metal Jacket, all those types of films. And yeah, I, I enjoyed them. But the only ones that really stuck with me and that I appreciated at a young age, whereas I was first appreciating music as a young artist, was Star Wars. Um, so there's definitely something worth exploring. I, that's not an original take, you know, millions of, of film filmmakers and aspiring critics and creatives all over the world have been inspired by what George Lucas did. Uh, It's just that George Lucas was originally inspired by passion. And when he revisited the prequels in the late nineties, early two thousands, again, it was passion. Um, Disney is inspired by the dollar sign. (laughs) And I think if there's anything lately that we've seen, um, the dollar sign is uh, very important and very, uh, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, the bottom line is more important than a a tight script that has meaning and passion. And so, yeah, I I do think there's always going to be something to revisit. Um, What what, what do I want outside of the economics? A clean start. I, I love the Skywalkers, but let them rest, you know? Give them a break, man. Give them a break. We have Old Republic. We have far into the future. We have whole other systems, star systems that the Empire has even spoken at length about not even getting to yet. Let's go there. There's got to be other Force-sensitive users that have no idea about Coruscant, ta- uh, you know, Tatooine, um, you, you know, Hoth, Endor. Let's go there. Clean start. Give yourselves, I mean, just give yourselves a break here, you know? Like I, I know the um the viewership is all we care about and, and Obi Wan was the highest viewed Disney Plus debut, I think something like two point one million next to Miss Marvel's pathetic seven hundred thousand uh in a debut. Um so they're really saving their ass with Obi Wan this month. But just give us something new, you know? Like you 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 guys are uh they're just lucky that they have enough money to buy the critics. That's all I'll say. Yeah. For, for sure. So that's really it. That's all that we're going to say. Like I said, I, I, I this is why, again, I know that I, I'm standing on Soul Isle here, but this is why I will continue to champion the animated stuff as far as being best yeah. because we still have another season of Bad Batch coming out. We got a couple of bonus shows coming out, but I'm like, I'm really only focused on Bad Batch because that first season was just so unbelievably awesome, and I still just can't believe what they pulled off there. I'm looking forward to Andor. I think that's going to be good, but that's because that's a different creative team coming in. That's Tony Gilroy, who I think was the saving grace behind Rogue One, so I'm hoping that Andor could be a little bit interesting, a little bit different. You we still have Taika Waititi's movie. We still have The Acolyte coming out. So that could be something different, something new, something interesting. But again, it's like I said, we live in the era of IP. It's not going to fly unless yeah. it's something that like people recognize. You know, let's hope that Taika can make something interesting here. But with that being said, I don't know, your guys' final thoughts, final star ratings on Obi-Wan Kenobi? Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'll just say uh, it was a, first of all, it was a pleasure to chat with you, Nate. Um, I liked what you had to say about uh, the Elvis movie. You seem uh, this is my first time meeting Nate, just so everyone knows. Yeah, um, what a pleasure, man, to finally get on here with you. Definitely, yeah. No, you you seem like a really solid film critic. I liked what you had to say, and um, even though we disagree, you raise good points. I'm just I grew up loving Star Wars so much that I just can't stand to watch it be dragged through the mud like this i i also don't settle you know like i haven't put new music out in almost three years for a reason right if it's not ready i'm not just going to throw it out there just because i need to get content out to people my art means something to me and i thought star wars once meant something to the creator so that's why i have to give this 
a pathetic 0.5 on the uh, out of five because it's just uh, no longer will I be, um, uh, you know, a victim of of what I claim to realize, which is suffering the fools at Disney who keep feeding nonsense down my throat. I'm done. I'm out. This is it. I'll watch Bad Batch because I'm hoping that some of the lifeblood from the Clone Wars cartoon and now the uh, first Disney Plus season's there, but maybe I'll watch Andor. Maybe not while it's airing currently. If I'm ever bored, maybe if I get really sick and I just have to like lay in bed for three days and I have the time, I'll watch Andor. But uh, I'm going to work on a film or write a script or work on a song instead of wasting my time watching that nonsense that's for sure so yeah point five um but uh it's a pleasure meeting you nate yeah. um against meeting you what about um, you though man what's your take yeah. on all this wow because i i feel like now it sounds like i'm being the one buying into this but really like i've been criticizing star wars uh for a while you know based on everything you guys said like really i am one of those fans who's vocal about it because I don't want to just eat up everything they give me, but I will tell you, I got a lot out of the show, especially the first few episodes, really diving into what he was doing. But besides the fact, as I said before, like it's, it just felt like after a while, we're just going to continue with this escort mission. And, and then, you know, we're not really going to focus on his psyche, but I'll tell you what, I just felt very satisfied by the finale. Sure. It was fan servicey. Of course it was, but I feel like for the characters, it, you know, especially bringing Reva, who I felt was very undercooked for a lot of it, like actually giving her like an emotional arc, I thought was such a satisfying ending. And yeah, I, I really feel like they could have done so much more. This could have been like an amazing show. Uh, but for what it is, I really did like the approach that they took. And, and I really did like the kind of low budget, more intimate uh, sort of setting. And so, yeah, for that, I'm going to give it a, a four out of five. I, I really enjoyed it. So I, I guess I just don't see quite to the extent what everyone's talking about. Of course, there are the flaws and the conveniences that just don't make any sense. But overall, I, I do feel like this, if anything, it strengthens uh, parts of the original film. I feel like once again I'm kind of in the middle of everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to give it the best of all sides. You know, my whole thing is I'm like. But my whole thing when it comes to, like I said, I take all these other factors into account. But at the end of the day, my biggest thing is I'm like, do I care and does this interest me and does this entertain me? It's what I say every time somebody comes at me and tries to call me out for being a Marvel show. Nathaniel, you know exactly who I'm talking about. It's what I say every <laughs> time at the end of the day. I'm like, am I entertained? Am I compelled by these characters? Do I care about what they're watching? And unfortunately, this is the I'll say this for the first half of Book of Boba before they just became a completely different show. I was semi sort of compelled. <laughs> But I'll say that once we got to the second half, like I said, I was just so beyond bored. I just didn't care what was happening. The last two episodes were literally just background noise. I, I, I just, I don't care. I didn't care. It's not, I don't think, nearly as bad, but... It, for me as you say it is Chris but that's only because again you know me I've never had I feel like that direct attachment to Star Wars the way that everybody else has so for me and I'm, I'm gonna settle like roughly around a two two out of five stars like I said there was some some good parts but it was just kind of way laid down by really just terrible production and just kind of again just really kind of I feel like uninspired storytelling that that's kind of all that it comes down to it's uninspired storytelling that I feel like does not accomplish anything or really seek to tell anything new about this character that we were not already familiar with in a satisfying enough way so that's it Those 
those are our reviews and recaps of Elvis and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Let us know what your thoughts are in the comments section below. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe there. If you're following us on Twitch, be sure to follow us on there as well. We're going to take off next week. We're not going to be doing a podcast next week before the July week. We'll be back in two weeks for the return of another MCU effort, Thor Love and Thunder. This is Taika Waititi directing, so I'm hoping that this could be a little bit different than the typical Disney stuff. Nathaniel, as our guest of honor, where can the good people follow you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me at Nathaniel underscore Ahart on all the socials, whether it be Instagram, Twitter, what have you. And of course, right here on YouTube, Nathaniel Ahart, just my name. Look me up. I got a channel. I do a lot of music reviews. I do a lot of movie reviews, obviously. And I am going to do my own review of Obi-Wan so I can get a little bit more in depth. And also, we're in the middle of doing the top 70 albums of the 70s uh, with Johnny Radio. So check that out. It's just a great series. We're having so much fun with it. So yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's a pleasure as always. Absolutely. Yeah. Chris, as always, where can the good people follow you? Well, I just subscribed, Nathaniel. I'm uh, very intrigued by that top 70s album of the 70s. I will be watching. Guys, once again, please go follow our guest. It was a pleasure to meet him. Even though we disagreed, we had a great conversation. And if there's anything we need right now, I think it's civil disagreement. So, yeah, with that said, you guys can follow me being neutral keeping my mouth shut on everything except for pop culture at Christian Ivanko, E-V-A-N-K-O. That's the name. Please go and find it. Follow it. I have music on the horizon, which I cannot wait for you all to hear. Uh, It's not going to be undercooked like Obi-Wan was, um, and it won't be overcooked either because that's also a problem. You know, eventually you have to rid yourself of the demoitis. Um, For me, it was really just taking the time to learn how to record myself so I don't have to, like, you know, be beholden to an engineer and, you know, have to deal with that whole, well, I mean, dude like this is taking a little longer like it's going to cost you an extra 40 bucks like I'm sick of hearing that so I learned how to do it myself and I hope you guys will follow me at Christian Ivanko E-V-A-N-K-O to track that progress and keep up to date with everything it's on all the socials Um, it was a pleasure to meet you Nathaniel I just subscribed you guys should too and of course go follow my co-host Dom the movie nerd who is not only when he posts once a year the most sarcastic and witty MF on all the internet but a great friend. So, Dom, tell them where they can find you, man. Oh, I'm glad that you still think that, especially because I don't even remember the last time that I posted, considering that I finally deleted Facebook off my phone because I just I had to just recently. But you can follow me at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We are also still posting our stuff on TikTok. And be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast across all social media platforms for myself, from Chris, from Nathaniel. As always, people, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. We'll see you guys next time. 